Right. If you'd like a voice that's easy, expressive and human, if you want to deliver your words in a way that really makes your listener feel something, you know, and if you want a clearer voice during hay fever season, cold and flu season and even... Yikes, I've sung too loud at a Bon Jovi concert season. (laughs) Then join me for Mouth to Mic. It's my new online voice training programme that comes with its own private community of voice gigs, just like you. For all the info, head over to bit.ly forward slash mouth to mic. That's bit.ly forward slash mouth to mic. Welcome to the Voice Coach Podcast, here for all your speaking voice training and guidance. My name is Nick Redman and I am offering you all sorts of nuggets of wisdom on how to keep your voice in good working order and a true representation of who you are. So if you're a podcaster, presenter, actor, speaker or voiceover artist or a general voice geek, you're in good hands. Shall we get started? Well, hi there and jeepers, have I got an episode for you today. It's a wee bit longer, but it's worth grabbing a brew and settling in or listening to it on a car journey on a, or on a walk or in the gym or wherever. Because today in the Empowerment series, I talk to Samara Bay. Now, here's a tiny bit of her epic bio because we'd be here all feckin' day. She's a speech coach who's helped CEOs and entrepreneurs, candidates for Congress, celebrities presenting at award shows at the UN, mums returning to work, thank you, uh, high school girls who want to make a difference. She coaches rising leaders on the cusp of something big, that's a quote from her website, who need to speak with confidence and joy in a voice they recognise as their own to truly make shit happen. (laughs) Expletive alert. There are a few expletives in this episode. To continue just with a few of Samara's words from her website here, because she puts it so beautifully. She says, I'm all about the new sound of power because what power has traditionally sounded like isn't working for us and fortunately it doesn't have to. Now her book, Permission to Speak, is coming out next year, which is very exciting and we talk a little bit about that in this interview as well. Like I said, a few swears, it gets a bit passionate, so forgive us. Also, this was recorded as a live interview in one of my Facebook communities, so the audio is a wee bit less tidy, but sure, the best bits of life are all messy, eh? So, I mean, we talk about all sorts of things here, but we we hit on accent bias, what vocal empowerment means to us, how we vocally present ourselves, what our authentic selves might even sound like, what authenticity means with voice, belly holding, what power sounds like, and her incredible book that's going to change the way we think about the sound of power and change lives and many, many more things. So strap in. Here we go. You join me when I just ask Samara how she ended up writing this book when she started her career coaching all the big celebs in Hollywood. You know, there were a lot of little tiny factors that led to what I'm doing now. But I think I've always been interested, even as I was coaching actors, which by the way, I still am, you know, I've always been interested in what's happening that isn't just the accent. So for example, when we're talking about accent work, we're talking about vowels and consonants for anyone here who uses the international phonetic alphabet, right? But then also, inevitably, there are interesting conversations to emerge along the lines of like, but why do they sound that way? Not just like, what's the cultural heritage and the sort of migration patterns, but like, why does that human sound like their parents or not sound like their parents? What happened? What kind of change happens inside of our own lives? When do we pick up new sounds? 
and habits? Mm. And when do we drop new, when, when do we drop old sounds and old habits and why? And so I'm just a nerd about these kinds of existential questions. And when, once you poke at them, you get a really interesting shit, like what power sounds like out loud in various cultures, but also just across cultures, right? What, what we have all come to decide that like a leader should sound like, and where did that mm. should come from? And is it something we should continue to uphold or not? I like to say that all of us, you know, our voice is a reflection of our life experience. So our, re- yeah. our voice reveals our life. And some of that is the stuff that happened to us. And some of the stuff is, some of it is the stuff that we decided whether subliminal or not, you know, I, I want, I have this aspiration to come across this way to present this way. So now I do, you know, and all of us, this is like so juicy and real. So of course I was working with actors on creating the the character, you know, I, as a dialect coach in Hollywood, I like to say that dialect coaching is a design element, just like the soundscape or the costume design and a, and a designer's job is to think through what story am I telling with the medium I have? And so the medium of the voice, obviously, what story are we telling with how this character sounds? But then, boy, does that start to translate into the real world, right? What story mm. are any of us telling with how <laughs> An obvious example for anybody listening is what we do about accent, right? If we're living somewhere that has a, a predominant accent that isn't ours, but there's all kinds of ways that aren't accent related that are about pitch and volume and pace, you know? How do we perform that we're a smart person? How did we <sighs> learn that? From whom did we learn that? Did we learn that we could or couldn't pull that off? So then it's actually, no matter who I'm working with, even if they are extremely successful by society standards, there is some inner language around this that hasn't been worked out because nobody talks about I mean, I don't want to say nobody, you know, but it's not this conversation around voice and around voice bias is not mainstream. Yeah, it's not enough, is it? And every night again, you get this ridiculous poll in the UK anywhere. It's like, what's the sexiest accent? What's what's the stupidest sounding know. accent? I saw, a, <laughs> right. a, I saw a recent like thing on TikTok that was this guy with a microphone going, what do you think is the ugliest accent in the UK? And interviewing all these people like, and they were going, oh my God, it's definitely Liverpool. Oh, it's definitely Birmingham. Oh, it's definitely. And I was like, how dare you? Like what? What will be interesting interesting is to have that conversation, but then also to contextualize it. Like if you just have, if you, if obviously, obviously we know this is like sensationalistic news. I'm not going to be able to like change how they do things overnight. But I will say for anybody listening who might have access to um, telling this kind of story in the news, wouldn't it be interesting then to to break down what is going on both sound wise and culturally that leads people to have these elitist attitudes towards sounds, which should theoretically be neutral. What is it? What is it about psychology? What is it about social linguistics that leads people to us versus them, affi each other? And then like, honestly, no shame. We all have biases, but we get to then examine them, get curious Mm. about them. And that is how we do this responsibly. We did an episode of the Voice Over Social podcast and we talked about, we talked to this amazing linguist called David Crestill. I don't know if you've come across any yes, of this. Of course. Stuff. Oh my God. Oh, oh my God. God. I have all <laughs> of, course, of course you have. I learned, yeah. I learned original <laughs> pronunciation back in acting school. Yeah, so yeah exactly. I can speak Big up David. English thanks to David Crystal. <laughs> yeah. What was I thinking? Anyway, we interviewed him about RP and he gives all the amazing stuff about RP. But Birmingham came up and then we did this other sort of shoot off 
bonus episode about why, because in the UK, the Birmingham accent is one that gets the most flack for sounding, and I very much use air quotes here, stupid. Yeah. yeah. Or like anytime there's somebody who's uneducated or whatever it is, they have a Birmingham accent. And he told us the reason why and how that happened. And it was because this one actress in a radio drama at one point in the, I can't remember the year now, let's say the 50s, had to portray a particular character of a particular social class and educational level. And she chose a Birmingham accent. And it was the first time that the Birmingham accent had been on the airwaves. And that's how it all snowballed out of control. And an archetype was born. And so it was born. then affected hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Not millions. Who knew? Where is she now? I'm sure there's a a, um, related uh, story for the Southern accent in the US, which, you know, I've coached a lot of Southerners who, you know, in whatever context, whether they're actors or, or in business, are just sick of people assuming they're stupid. I mean, literally. And then, and the by the things- way, I've also coached Northerners in the U.S. who don't have that accent, who have a much more clipped sound. They, I'm thinking one person in particular, was so frustrated that in dealings with Southerners for their work, they came across as cold. And they wished dearly that they could sound more folksy and warm. Like a southern, which is just so telling of how fucking arbitrary it all is. The equivalent over here is I've had people through my doors saying, "My boss says I need to lose lose my Liverpoolian accent because I won't get this promotion." And I've also had people with really heightened kind of traditional RP going, "I need to sound less posh." course. So like it happens from both sides. Absolutely. But I think this is quite an interesting link into empowerment really when it comes to the voice, because if you grow up with a certain accent and all of a sudden society tells you, you sound a certain way or your accent means a certain thing, the impact that that can have on additional elements of your vocal quality and delivery and your entire vocal persona are massive. That's right. That's so right. Your vocal persona, by the way, what an interesting thought, right? Mm-hmm. How we sort of perform ourselves. Yeah, I was talking about this on another podcast today about like how you show up as a version of yourself and how easy it is to show up as a version of yourself and not your real self and and what that impacts on your voice and things. But also, what is our real self? I mean, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I like to say because I, do, you know, I wrote a book about this, which, by the way, for anybody listening, it will be available for pre-order in mid-August as you are listening to this um, thereafter. <gasps> so, uh, and you can go to smartbay.com to find it, and there will be a big, beautiful cover that you can <laughs> click on and you click. can pre-order it, and you will send dun, to your dun, friend. Dun, not receive the book because that's how pre-order <laughs> works, but you'll receive the the you know um, the joy yeah but also like the chemical hit of like i just did a thing i'm part of a thing um, <laughs> a movement i will please thank you very much um, <laughs> um we were talking about <laughs> i gotta get better at these plugs. you got so caught up in plugging your own book that you forgot your sentence that is I great mean, it's kind that is of great. perfect isn't it yeah. um no but i'm kidding and i'm not kidding because honestly i do think that for all of us who um, use our voices professionally. Moments like that, I love to just embrace. I mean, there's so much about public speaking that people are so afraid of, but like, oops, I just lost my train of thought. And yet we survive. <laughs> it happens you know? all the time. It happens all the time. Can we normalize it, please? Yeah, because it How? doesn't make you seem any less uh, um, intelligent or wise or Well, useful. thank you. And if it does, <laughs> that is an opportunity for those of you listening to consider your biases. 
Um, <laughs> mic drop. What? Um, no, what were we really saying? So you were talking about we were talking empowerment about and our persona. vocal personas and oh, right. so real selves. Book, since I wrote this book, I did feel an obligation, a good one, to actually tackle this issue of like, what's our authentic self? Because yeah. obviously, inevitably, there are these questions of like, there's all kinds of versions of me. Who is me? So there's a billion answers, but I will say one that I think is valuable, that I define authenticity as talking about what we care about like we care about it. That's a really nice, a really simple way of putting it. Because we all have so many, we have so much practice, really, because of the culture of not actually sounding like we care about what we care about when we talk about what matters to us, right? So we undercare because it, it um, feels inconvenient to seem over-enthusiastic. You know, we undercare because we, 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 we talk about what we care about, but we act like we don't so that we'll be less vulnerable, you know, literally like people will be able to hurt us less because they won't really know what we care about. And on the other hand, a lot of people have experience with, with pushing, with over-caring, with pretending that we care when we don't because perhaps we worked in the customer service industry <laughs> or perhaps we're a woman. So, so, so this idea of actually matching how we sound with what we're talking about, you know, I think is really, really profound. And yeah. And I think ourselves when we're doing it right, you know? Yeah. And I think there's an interesting thing in so many people that I work with, you know, if they're podcasters, for example, and they're presenting their podcast and reading the script that they've carefully written and all this kind of stuff. It's that idea of, I, or people say I sound monotone and people say I sound this and people say, I, I, I don't think my voice is expressive and I don't think my voice is this, that and the other. When ultimately that's because, and I totally understand why, it's that thing that we're kind of conditioned to do, which is worry what other people think we sound like and worry what people are going to think our voice does to them. It's what you said there is the important thing is sounding like you care about the thing you're talking about. That's what you have to focus on, not trying to sound a particular way or, or trying so, to make your voice. That's so beautifully put. I mean, yeah, you know, how frustrating and human that we focus on the wrong thing and miss the opportunity for true connection. Mm. So the wrong thing in this case is how will they perceive me, which is completely based on the fact that we live in a world where people do judge us based on how we sound. So how will they perceive me and all those questions of like, are they judging me are fair. They come from a completely, you know, understandable place and they're holdovers from a white patriarchal colonial environment that tells us that there's a standard of how to talk. And if you don't talk that way, you will be judged. And I'm here to suggest that even though all that stuff is really real and heavy and hangs in our actual air, there is also a future that I very much <laughs> believe in in which we decide that if I show up caring about what I care about and speak directly, but with great love, I will get way more of a, of a positive response than if I try to navigate the intricacies of potential judgment out there. Mm. That's such a nice sentence, navigating the potential judgment. That we're I've just never... guessing, you know? Yeah. It's like a slalom. Yeah, <laughs> a slalom right? Minister. Peace, it's like, I mean, you know, when you're somebody... on the mic, like, like oh. what you said about the mono, the monotone, it's such a great example, right? Like even those of us who are professional voice people, and I'm putting myself in this category because I had a podcast. 
podcast. And I, I know I write about this in the book because I want to be, you know, deeply honest about the actual shit, you know, that I call the mind gunk right inside of us. I got on the microphone for my podcast about giving ourselves permission to speak. And here I go <laughs> thinking, mm, I know I'm not, I don't want to do a, um, a podcast voice, quote unquote, as some sort of a disembodied voice. And yet um, I'm a little weird. So let me, let me just shave off some of my weird. And that sounded a little too much. So let me be a lot, not so quite so too much. Right. And we do with these little, these yeah. little shavings off of ourselves that is a negotiation inside of ourselves with some theoretical future judging person. I'm suggesting is not a great way to find our joy and to get heard and to change the world. I mean, yeah, I'm, uh, if there's some kind of, if there's some kind of parade where I can stand behind you <laughs> during this crusade. I think there is, I think it's just shouting out about this book and trying to get it into the hands of the most sure. people. I mean, you know, what I care about is truly, you know, everybody that I've interacted with basically without exception, once we start talking about this, they realize that it's, it's some, there's some unfinished business. They realize that they've been holding on to something that a bully said in second grade or that a mentor said at their first job that was like a microaggression or just a little ding mm. that was possibly even from the mentor well-intentioned. And it starts so small. stayed in there. It starts mm. small and it has an outsized impact. And then there's shame around the impact. Why did that, why did that one comment throw me so much? And what I just described, literally every single person I've talked to has something like that. And every single person thinks they're alone. So this is like at the absolute heart of the book is, of course, there's a bunch of how to's, a bunch of like practical tips because I'm a coach and I'll never not, you know, <laughs> only talk about what works. But also part of the like what works is just offering people the space and the solidarity, some language to say that this experience is very human and it's really, it's really collective and it's really at the level of culture, not at the level of personal failing. Yeah. So much of those, so much of the technical vocal pathologies that I come across in my practice as a technique speaking technique coach from a voice level or so much of the hangups, whether it's breath, whether it's vocal tiredness, whether it's tripping up over your tongue is because at some point in somebody's journey, when you start to reflect back and you think about it, somebody has told them at some point that they sound a certain way or they need to sound a different way or they've had some feedback about God, their stomach hanging out. So that yeah. means they can't release their belly to let some I breath. I talk about this. I talk about sucking. Sucking culture. Just the idea. <laughs> yeah, sucking in is, is the correct posture. Yeah. Oh my god! I know. I'm really. I'm really moved by what you just said. Yeah. 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 It's so prevalent. And funny enough, I mean, like you know, I don't know if you get this with you. You have a young son as well, haven't you? So young. So many accidental th narratives start getting presented to them example, this is not a vocal thing, but it's a persona thing and a personal, you know, a, a choice thing. My son wanted to wear the cardigan version of his top rather than a jumper version of the top. And one, he stopped wanting to wear it because one of the older kids in the school told him only girls can wear cardigans. <laughs> Yet his best mate, who was a girl, was wearing the jumper version. Oh my God. Trousers. So you, like, should, you should show him some like beautiful, um, like 
spread from Esquire magazine with some guys wearing cards. Yeah, guys in cards. Yeah, very trendy. But, but that's no, not the point. Of course, yeah. I know. I think exactly where I was going to go is the kid thing, and also before that, the era before they start getting that kind of socialization, which is of course when we have vocal freedom. These babies, oh, who God, can, yeah. you know, scream because scream they're not heavens. thinking to themselves. Both, I want to scream, and also, I hope I'm not too much. Yeah, yeah. I need to be much. They're just aiming for much. They have one single goal and it's be much. So I yeah, get be the much I need to solve to, the problem. Yeah. Food and cuddles are wipe my ass. Food, cuddles, wipe my ass. Yeah. That's the name <laughs> of my book, interestingly. <laughs> I feel like also in August. August. <laughs> I hope it doesn't I hope it doesn't take over yours. Uh I think they're companion pieces. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I need to work out where we go from here. Uh, <laughs> what I'm do you so think? I'm just the guest. <laughs> I'm so professional as well. Can you tell? I've done so much shaving off versions of myself to be such a, a slick presenter, <laughs> interviewer. Not. Thank God I'm literally you drinking. It. It's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <sighs> so, thinking about the technique element of things. What do you, okay, okay, let's start with this. What do you think, what does empowerment sound like to you? What does vocal empowerment sound like if you had to, or if you could, or can you? It's such an interesting question, isn't it? Um, well, for, fortunately, it does not sound one way. So right off the bat, I think part of what I like to talk about is the, the old standards of what power should sound like, which I just call the old sound of power. And then the new sound of power and how many examples we have of people who really sound different, who sound like themselves, who sound like where they're from, or who sound like where they're going, you know, who, who swear, who, you know, whatever it is that, fe- that feels like it's, um, it's, it's just like a, a minor, little radical move towards something different. That new sound of power sounds a lot of different ways. So we're heading away from an old standard that has a much narrower definition, and towards a version of showing up in public that where diversity is part of the point. So A. B, I think we could probably all agree as voicey people that when we give ourselves permission to truly show up with our own sense of mischief and joy and gravitas, our voice will likely not be stuck in our throat, have pitch variety, um, switch volume and pace based purely on the content of the thought and what needs to get conveyed. So, I mean, if we're speaking technically, I think a freer voice is the answer. But what freedom feels like and sounds like, obviously there's some range there for all of us. For my money, the dude who was at the front of the train strikes recently in the UK, Cockney fella, I can't remember his name. Um, he sounded amazing. I sent you, I think that might be the last one I sent you. Okay. And then before that, I sent you a link to Mary Black, who is a Scottish politician. Oh, yeah. Who is oh, my God. really showing up vocally, unabashed. Really showing up vocally. Yeah. yeah. She is giving it. I mean, and I think you she's know, amazing. The content of what we say and how we say it obviously are interconnected. So sometimes we're just, but this is where I was going, is that those of us who are, you know, voicey types, but also really, I, I hope everybody, because we all have voices, are thinking about, are listening for who, who, literally for, for who, for who makes us lean in. Yeah. And who makes us want to share their mm. content? Uh, I think we just have a real, all of us, 
I'll say something very generic and let's see if it feels right. But all of us are better at flexing the, I don't like her voice muscle than the, Ooh, Oh, wow. That voice is wonderful. And that, you know, is just something we get to, we get to work. We get to work that muscle. And obviously a lot of it is content, but when the content meets somebody who is willing to stand behind it with their full body and their breath, you know, it does something to us. And it's a lovely instructive moment so that we get to say, not I should sound like that person when I speak, but that person is showing up as themselves and giving themselves permission gives me permission. And me showing up as myself with my full range of mischief and joy and gravitas (laughs) gives other people permission who need it, who need to hear a voice that doesn't sound like the old sound of power and yet gets respected anyway, and yet is unapologetic. And how does that amazing person showing up as them, giving themselves permission to show up as them, giving you permission to show up as you, how does that make you feel like as, as a potential speaker? Like that makes me feel really excited and like pure possibility. Fair possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just it. The reason I get really emotional about this is that I think fundamentally so much of what's wrong. I mean, we were joking earlier about how both of our countries are in dire straits. So aka fucked. So (laughs) much of what's wrong is that the wrong people are in charge and the wrong people have been entrusted. And often that is because the performance of power tricks people. And so Mm. I'm really, really interested in other ways that we can perform power that is a kind of power that will actually do good in the world. And I know, and you know, so many magnificent humans who should be in charge or should at least have more sway than they do. And they're stopping themselves because of their relationship to their voice on some level or their relationship to what leadership looks and sounds like. Yeah. And we, we have to connect those magnificent people, including ourselves, back up to our sense of power and permission. If we're going to change the fucking world. I mean, if we're going to save it, literally, like literally the world is literally, at stake. So, bye, everybody. Hey. <laughs> but, you know, the polarized caps are not the only things melting. You know, like we're... So is- let's all do a lip trail. <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think so much of the responsibility also lies with us as listeners to investigate those biases. I've had to do it, you know, like at some point it happens instinctively to all of us. Let's not pretend that we're holier than thou. And every now and again, you've not had one of those wee opinions seep out when you hear a particular vocal quality or a particular type of sound and you've let that override the message that you're trying to hear. So if you are listening, know that that's okay and know that it you're not lost. Like you can fully yeah. change and I mean, save this that. Is, this is how all biases work, right? They're they're below the level of conscious thought, and fine that that we have mm. them is fine. That we ignore them or pretend we don't is the problem, right? So actually noticing who we're drawn to and who we're not, you know, and are we drawn to that person because they're showing up as their authentic self, or are we drawn to them because they just remind us of home? They just feel like a, some sort of you know, homogeneity that like, oh, they're, they're in us, not of them. This is a really interesting line to stand mm. on and look at and know that that work that you're doing is this work that we're talking about towards a better future. I mean, absolutely how we speak, our sense of permission around speaking, but also our sense of bravery around listening. They're I want to make it, as you say. Yeah. 
Can I make it like it? Because I feel so much of our unconscious biases and our opinions are based on everything the media pumps out at us. I want to make a little suggestion to any voiceover people that are listening that I feel that it's hugely important that as voiceover artists as well, we challenge the ideals that are out there as to what voices should represent what brands and what voices should represent certain intelligent brands or certain working class brands or whatever, and make sure that when you're putting yourself out there as a voiceover, you're not just trying to sound like every other voiceover that's been before you. And that you're like trying to really investigate the incredible thing that you have to offer rather than just fitting into a mold. And I know it's a bit of a journey and I know it's um, a step to make, but it's important. Well, I'll add also, because I think about this, I think about this a lot, that this is the sort of thing we can do when we have a little bit of power. So, um, you know, obviously what you just said is lovely and harder for people who are just starting out or for people who don't feel like, you know, who, who need the job because they need the money because they need to live. Right. And when we have accumulated a little bit of power or privilege, how we spend it is really, really interesting. Mm. So those are the chances. I mean, a, a, a non-voice example that I think of is when I'm on a film set there are not that many women of childbearing years because film sets, 12-hour day minimum, are not particularly conducive. And especially when you're a crew, you don't make enough money to pay for childcare. So the math is the math, right? There are men who have kids, but they don't see them and that is socially acceptable on some level more so. So because I'm in a unique position as a dialect coach, I perhaps get my pay is a little higher than some of the crew. I don't have to do all the 12 hours because, oh my gosh, when my actor stops talking, I get to go home. I am one of those rare (laughs) women of childbearing years on a set (laughs) who has a seven-year-old son and has a bunch of women in their 20s all around me who somewhat look up to me on set. I mean, this is a dynamic that's real. And I get to talk about motherhood in a way that normalizes it and that also normalizes the experience that, you know, our sets are not conducive. So this is like, were I not in a position where I had some, you know, power and I have some relationship to the movie star and, you know, whatever, um, I wouldn't necessarily feel that comfortable talking about being a parent. And I know a lot of people don't. And they, women worry that if they talk about motherhood, it makes them seem less competent in focusing on their work. Mm. But I am happy. It costs me very little and feels like modeling for just the right people you know, to talk about it. So like, this is an example, obviously, as a, as a metaphor, but, but this is the same thing. If we, if we have any sway in the voiceover world, if we have the ear of a producer, if we are, if they're coming back to us a second time, you know, if for whatever reason, we've got a little sense of a play that we can, you know, access. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think a little poking of, 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 um, cultural standards and what, what values they uphold, especially if you know that the people you're working with don't want to uphold those values. You get to say that. I have an interesting idea of a different way to go with the, with this accent, because I think it would be more in alignment with, with the true values of your product. Yeah. And you know, you're right. When I say that I am in a very privileged position because I have my career and I've been doing it for a long time. And I appreciate that there are people coming in who 
feel they have to fit a particular mold in order to get going. I just know that sometimes, I, I mean, a lot of what I talk about um, when I do, when I do workshops is, is this idea, this phrase that I, that I came up with years ago of how to use your voice to get what you want, but also what we want is complicated and can change and can be different for everybody and can be different in the morning as in the evening. So if what we want is to feel like we are living in alignment with our values all day, every day in integrity, that's useful to know. There are choices you can make. You can absolutely Mm. push back instantly, no matter how much power you have. If what you want is to get the job, because that will get you more power, because then you will have more power and you will spend it well, that's a different goal. And honestly, no fucking shame either way, but useful to know. I mean, really quite empowering to know. You know, exactly. I, I've had time, I've had phases in my career where I get to turn down work because I don't think that it needs to exist in the world and it's going to bore the heck out of me slash, you know, offend me. As a dialect coach, no one's asking me for my creative opinion, but I get to choose. I don't want to be on that set 12 hours a day. Life is too short. And then sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, do I care? Do I just need to actually make a little bit of money because I know me and I'm going to spend it well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same, same with voiceover. Some stuff comes in and you're like, no way. And sometimes come in you go, I need to pay the mortgage. So I get it. But yeah, if you have a bit of sway, like you say, oh, that rhymes. Yeah. See what you can do with it, I suppose, if you're in the position to. We did an episode of the Voiceover Social Podcast. If there's any voiceovers listening, by the way, and and if you're new, about how to get more work in your own accent. And we spoke to loads of agents and we talked to them about what sorts of jobs were coming in for particular accents. And we looked at loads of current adverts and we saw what accents were for what products. And we, we really looked into it. So, and people have found it incredibly useful. So if you are concerned or worried or feel like you want to use a bit of your authentic self uh, rather than conforming to whatever you feel you need to conform to, then maybe check out that episode on the Voice Over Social podcast. Anyway, so if we've had some people in the comments say things like I asked what they thought empowerment sounded like and we got authentic and released. We got, I think empowerment sounds vulnerable, effortless, genuine, human. Then we had also someone saying the vocal empowerment party, which I'm just delighted with. What a, <laughs> what a, what a noisy party that would be. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I think that's probably any party that. you're at, Samara. Any party you attend really? is probably the vocal um, empowerment party. Yeah, I think oh, so. That's so funny. I love um, that so much. Yeah, I think vulnerable is really, really helpful to throw in there too. That was a beautiful word. Effortless is an interesting one as well, right? The effort obviously comes from the hiding. And what we're talking about is vocally showing up. Mm, What an interesting way to like think of it. The effort is from the hiding. I mean, I'm less of a technical technicianer, Mm. you know, expert than you are. Technitioner um, than you are. I mean, it's just not my training actually. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! We but could all fight the things crime. that you referenced, we could fight crime. As, as, like a, as, a, as a yin and yang as a, together, as a, as a yin and yang. Listen, Ugh. I mean, we actually are. I think right now, we're just yeah, I'm no, for sure. Crime very, very, very broadly. Crime schmine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, you're the. Te- you you're guys, not everybody's a listening. Isn't it so lovely that Nick and I found each other? He's <laughs> <laughs> not here first. He's not here first. I, this is like a, the true beauty of the internet. You were saying that you're not a technician in her, but I am a technician in her. You were saying Thank you for that. that. Well, I'm saying that what you said earlier about the ways that, you know, what I just said, that the effort comes from the hiding, you know, everything yeah, is yeah, described. Yeah. And, and I do have, have, my experience is actually as a, as a patient, because I have a background in 
having vocal nodules, which sort of be, was the early, was the, it's a different way of answering your very first question of how I got into this from dialect. I got into dialect, but in a way before that, went back when I was in acting school, I did a, um, a MFA, which is like, you know, drama conservatory, three-year program in my mid-20s. And I had to drop out in the middle because I had these vocal nodules and my voice was completely gone. And I had to go to a speech pathologist and I did like a six-week course of relearning how to speak. And this happened before I became a dialect coach. So in a way, the seed was planted because here's what I left that com- that, that experience feeling like. I fucked up my own voice. I must have done it on, not on purpose, but I did it to myself. So I'm not just the victim, I'm the perpetrator. Mm. And I had no context for how I did that, why I did that, what cultural forces were at play. So I'm to blame. That is like the, the under, the, you know, the, uh, the theme underneath a lot of this work because I, I, I didn't have my book to turn to, quite honestly. I didn't have somebody, somebody to say, why don't we just decide it's not your fault that actually, I mean, God, when I did my podcast, it turned out half the people I interviewed, but I found out on air also had vocal nodules, also from speaking a tiny bit too low. And when I found my speech pathologist from 20 years ago to interview her for my book, she said, yes, young women who come to me are almost always speaking a tiny bit too low below their quote unquote optimum pitch and, and, you know, nodules form as a result, but also all kinds of other, you know, issues with, with tension and icky. And how mad that you were in a, an institution where you would think there was some decent technical training from a technicianer to help you like avoid that. I throw the head of the acting program under the bus on my first page because I mean, sorry, but you know, you know that that quote about like if you don't want somebody to write about you in your book, then you better act better. He, <laughs> I, I have a lot of love for him, and he taught he taught acting beautifully. And the day I got back from literally going to the doctor, having the scope put up my nose and down my throat, discovering you know getting the diagnosis that this was vocal cord issue, I walk into the acting class. I've missed half the class. You know, everybody looks at me, and the head of the program says, "So." what's the diagnosis? And my, you know, poor raspy throat that every word that comes out feels painful. I nonetheless say as loudly as I can, vocal nodules. And he says, huh, just as I thought, bad usage. (laughs) No wonder you thought it was your fault then. There you go. And honestly, bad usage is what a lot of us are told in in the media. It's what a lot of us are told in all kinds of ways without that, without that like awkward phrasing. But the spirit of it is, you're fucking up your own voice. What do they call what do they call upspeak? Career suicide. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. A habit I picked up on a linguistic level because I mirror the people around me. My entire friend set. Career suicide. An entire awesome. generation. An awesome. entire generation. An entire career generation. Suicide. Because right. we're doing a habit that doesn't right. sound like the older generation. That older men have been doing for generations. <laughs> You're the same, so it's not no, the same. It's <laughs> so if just to bring it back to Saturday, we could add another thing and another thing. Um, I love our 30 minute conversation here. This is kind of oh really, god, I'm so sorry. Real yeah, tight, let's, real tight. Let's wrap it up from from the technical things that you know now, having been through that and working with people to find this empowerment and to give them permission. How do you think people can prepare technically to show up? vocally empowered and give themselves permission to speak? Is that too big a question? I think it's, no, not at all. I think it's simple. 
I think that the answer is a balance and it's different for each of you and each of your, you know, instruments in your relationship to warm ups and stuff. But I think it's a balance between, I'll say 50 50, but obviously whatever, uh, 50 50 of half, whatever physical warm up makes your body feel like it's vibrating in all the best ways and feeling the most free with some mindset work. Some, I, as I call it, big permission work, which honestly, I'm using the word work, but like maybe that's not right because what I really mean, here's a few examples. One, dance, get in your hips, feel as dance floor flirty as humanly possible. <laughs> Remember that you are an earth goddess. I know there are men here too. You could be an earth goddess. And that's one. And two is, you know, this is, there's this lovely concept um, from psychology of priming of what we, what we think about affects our next moment. Think about, give yourself maybe a little bit of time um, to light a candle and like prepare yourself for this kind of, to have easy access to this kind of um, exercise. Think about the times when somebody really deeply got you, where you felt seen and heard and loved. Maybe it was a mentor or somebody you really admire saying that they admire you back. Maybe it was just an email, you know, maybe it was a hug from your kid. I don't care where, but that feeling of total full flex freedom that some people call your alter ego, I call it you plus permission. That feeling, being able to tap back into that, think about a memory, breathe it in so that the memory feels like it hits you again in your full body. That's literally, if you have one minute, before you're going to be on a mic, that matters just as much as trilling. (laughs) But with your hips. You know? (laughs) That's amazing. That feels like the um, the Beyonce, Sasha Fierce situation. That's right. That's right. I mean, I love, I love the concept of Sasha Fierce because I feel like Beyonce brought the alter ego concept into the mainstream and into this real sense of like, oh, right, we all have, like, we all know that Sasha Fierce is also her on some profound level, not just like she's, it's her physical body up there. But, you know, he says that's a great way to trigger the waterworks. Fine. I mean, another, you know, none of you said this exactly, although I think the vulnerability word is a good one, but Another way to discuss a, um, a voice that is vocally empowered, as you say, is somebody who is, has easy access to their emotional life. Mm. So if you might, you saw me earlier, for those of you who, who are, you know, visually watching this, I teared up when I was talking about stuff. To me, that's a lovely, whenever that happens, I'm like, ooh, 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 I care. Ooh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ooh great yeah. reminder, I care. Right? I do really care about this. Yeah, but gotcha. like that's it's happening right now. But like that's that is it is beat out of us as kids because emotions scare people and white supremacist culture doesn't like them from certain people. And so it is a revolutionary act to allow waterworks to happen and to just know that like that doesn't mean we're now in like like pure unfiltered out of control venting mode. It's not black and white. There's a huge amount of just breathing, feeling our feelings, whether they are they bring up something sad or enthusiasm, and going, ooh, fortunately, I get to bring this into the room that I'm in. 
I absolutely gonna tell my husband that next time I uh, cry, <laughs> I cry a lot. You know, there's this, really there's emotional this, about. There's stuff. some interesting. Um, there's some interesting <laughs> studies in the business world because obviously in business this is where it's the hardest to sort of yeah. be emotionally honest, and I don't mean to be flip and suggest otherwise. And especially, you know, honestly, for people of color, like for there's all so much intersectional shit here. You can't just, it's very irresponsible for me as a coach to just be like, be more emotional. But I will say that when we have the freedom, when we feel safe to be more emotionally honest about whatever feeling we're feeling is another one of the radical opportunities to model what the future of leadership should be for the other people who need to hear it. Mm, that's a really important thing to say. We have to finish. Closing remarks, and then you can tell people where to find the book. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, my closing remark is go to samarbay.com and get the book. Sure. And this is really important. Have these conversations, especially obviously with friends who are, who are also in the voice world, but with anyone, because I have found that basically everyone, once they realize what I'm really talking about, feels a real sense of freedom when they're given the chance to talk about their history of their voice. So normalize it, enjoy it, get curious. Let that belly go. Let the breath in. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, that's my gin's finished. So this interview is over. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I mean, what a lady. I had such a lovely time. And yes, I did have one gin because it was 8 p.m. in the evening here in the UK when I spoke to Samara in L.A. <laughs> Now, please visit Samara's website. Please pre-order the book and be a part of this revolution that Samara is championing because I think we can all agree that the sound of power and the accepted sound of power needs to change. And of course, the first step to vocal empowerment and sounding like your authentic self and showing up emotionally and having access to range and variety and expression and authenticity and feeling like you and, and connection vocally is knowing your voice and what it can do its potential and how it reacts in certain situations, you know, how to look after it, how to prepare it, how to recover after illness. You're like, well, you have to know how to drive the car in order to get to your destination. <laughs> oh, that was cool. <laughs> I quite like that. Should put that in a mug. Anyway, <laughs> if you're interested in that, make sure you hop over to Facebook and join the Voice and Accent Hub. It's my lovely wee community. It's a place you can ask questions if you've got any issues with your voice or you need some help with your warm-ups or heck, maybe you even want to share some brilliant, amazing thing you've done with your voice or a new exciting thing that you've discovered during your warm-up or a voice practice session that you've been having. It's just a great community of wonderful people who are interested in understanding their voice and feeling empowered over their vocal health and performance. So do join that. I'll pop a link in the show notes along with links to... Samara's book and website and all that other wonderful stuff from today's interview. Okay, next time and the final instalment in the Empowerment series is another great chat with another great woman. It's Caroline Goider, author of Gravitas and Find Your Voice. So stay tuned and happy voicing. Thanks for listening to the Voice Coach Podcast. For even more support with your speaking voice, head on over to our free community, The Voice and Accent Hub on Facebook. See you in there.